Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Hey, 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 it's Holden, and I am an alcoholic. I hope everybody's doing well today. Today, I'm being joined by Jared. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, hi, hello, Jared. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing doing very well. I'm, I'm thankful that you were able to join us today. Glad to be here. Every, everybody, it's Easter today, and thankfully, Jared was able to come on. Um, he and I actually started chatting through Instagram. Um, you posted, I believe, like one of your milestones, and I shared it. And I think that's how we started communicating. Um, so, Jared, why don't you tell everybody, like, your name, age, and what your drug of choice was, and how you been, how long you've been sober. My name is Jared. I'm uh, I'm from Kansas originally, but now I live in Florida. I'm 27 years old, and my drug of choice was alcohol, cocaine, and marijuana, the the party trio, as uh, most of you guys know it. And um, this next week, the 20th, will be a year and a half. That's amazing. That's 18 months is a huge, huge milestone for many people. That it, uh, that it is. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So why don't, before we get into <clears throat> the topic of the episode, why don't you give everybody kind of a small backstory on what led up to you needing or wanting to get sober and how that journey looked for you? Well, me needing to, well, okay, so I guess this probably goes back to about 2018 or so. My mom is also an addict. So she had came down here to Florida to get help and then had recommended that I come down to get help because I had problems with my mental health as well as addiction. So as far as depression, anxiety goes, I was, I was down. I was down a lot, like to the point to where I had tried to kill myself twice. So it was time that I had like actually seeked some major help in my life. And so I came down here and uh, I got some help with my mental health. And then I had been down here for about six months. I uh, was in and out of pro like trying to decide if I wanted to even work a program and I didn't go through the steps and I thought that I could just do it on my own. I could just use my free will and that I was telling myself that I didn't have a problem and I just want to get out of my way so that when I left, I, uh, I had relapsed. And then after that, I had went back home to Kansas went home to Kansas and then I started to fall down the slope again and then I wasn't working I was just drinking and drugging and then my mom just like up and sold the house and then I was like okay it's time for me to get my shit together so then I decided to move back down here and uh here I am a year and a half later and I'm the happiest I've ever been well, that's incredible. So it seems like Kansas for you is a uh, a place you don't want to be. Definitely not where I want to be. It'll all I'll always claim it, 
it'll always be my home, but there's so much toxic and to toxicity there that it's just not even worth even dealing with. Like, I'm about to have to go home sometime soon because I'm having family issues back home that I'll, I'll need to be there for. And uh, I don't know, I've just been kind of mentally preparing myself for that. Of course. And so what, like, how, of course, you said you didn't know if a, a program was for you. So when getting sober and being successful at a year and a half, what tools did you use and why did they finally stick for you? Uh, taking suggestions, um, buckling down, knowing that I need to get this shit done because I don't have anything to fall back onto. It's the streets or I get this right. And just knowing that and then learning to just shut the fuck up, listen, listen to what the old timers are saying apply these situations into my own life while still making it work and finding the balance in all of it altogether was just really what helped me the most. Um, just get, taking advice, like finally being able to just soak up and absorb the knowledge and just letting go of everything from the past, letting go of everything that was in my way, mostly myself. That's one of the biggest things is getting out of your own way to succeed. Yeah, I mean, that is super important. I think going into um, any try to kind of program for recovery, it's you need to sit down and just listen for a while and soak up all the knowledge that's in those rooms and by the people that have been through it, have recovered, possibly relapsed and then got recovered again. And so we are going in there with our tails between our legs most of the time when going into treatment or going into recovery rooms. And it's so important that we don't know what recovery is because we haven't journeyed through that yet. Um, so it's so important just to listen to the old timers and what they have to say. Yeah, most definitely. So of course, going into the episode topic, uh, freeing your mind or free your mind. Um, what does that term mean to you? Freeing your mind basically means letting go of your thought process and being able to live presently. So when it comes to addiction long-term or addiction even like short-term, once you get sober, like you always think about like those first couple weeks of like how your mind is just tumbling and turning over itself, like going battling back and forth. And it's just about letting all of that go, being present, keeping yourself active and just getting out of, out of your own head. You just have to stay out of your head. Like at all yeah. costs. No, a hundred percent. I think, of course, for me, the first few weeks of sobriety, it was just like, I still found myself going to bars and kind of testing my fate, um, just kind of seeing if I could do it or not. Um, so play stupid games, win stupid prizes um, is what I had to deal with. But 
you have to get out of yourself and you have to let go of any preconceived notion that you may have and that was the the biggest hurdle for me was kind of getting out of my own prejudice of religion higher power or spirituality and being a, a fully open-minded to do anything in order to stay sober yeah definitely i uh i myself uh battle that from time to time too since i'm a i'm a dancer so going out and dancing is a huge part of my life so testing the waters there be sober is is a great test it's it's not something that i struggle with any longer because i've gone through gone through it so many times now that the people that I'm with know that I'm sober and know that if they're going to, I guess, engage around me, that I'm not partaking in anything whatsoever. Like, they know that always bring me a water. <laughs> so you, you said you your uh, drug of choice was weed, cocaine, and um, alcohol. So many mm-hmm. people choose to go California sober. Um, is that something you chose or is that something you're against? Uh, now I do see marijuana as a mind altering substance and I'm still torn between the whole California sober and whatnot because there's a thin line that lies there like there's people with medical issues that need it I um I had a coworker that uh, we just recently had to fire. And um, he's the guy who actually did my intake in the halfway house that I'm in. And uh, I looked up to him and he was down on his luck. So I'd, I'd gotten him this job. And uh, he, uh, he had medical issues that had elongated and had gotten a lot worse. And uh, he went California sober. So I've been at this battle of like, where do I draw that line? I see both sides, but I lean more towards it's not okay because if you're gonna be sober, you don't want anything that's going to change your mind thought and your attitude and everything. So. I lean more towards that side, but I, I understand it. And um, I'm not going to shame anybody out there who is uh, California sober. Like, it's uh, it's a baby step. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I've had a few guests on here that were California sober. One of them specifically used it to deal with chronic pain because her issues with opioids. And so she chose to be California sober rather than drug addicted to opioids. Um and for me, like when I used to smoke weed, it was, it gave me that same effect of liquor, like that downer effect of that more mm-hmm. chill. And so I feel it would open the gate for me just to be like, oh, well, if I can control this after feeling this way, that I would go back down the liquor hole and who knows how long I would be there that time. So you said yeah. you're a dancer. So do you yes. see dancing being your outlet and just kind of the um 
in a way we find that when we're sober we do things to keep ourselves busy to keep our mind off of drinking do you find that that's that for you yeah most definitely it's uh it's my healthy escape everybody out there needs a a healthy conducive escape and uh that is mine that has always been mine i uh i just had a battle yesterday and i was trying to get out of my head the entire day and I'm around other people that are smoking and drinking and whatnot and but they they all know me and they all know that I don't do that but it's uh it's definitely what makes me happy it's um what I found purpose in and um it's what I enjoy the most so it's one of those things that I I couldn't remove from my life because when I had nothing, that's all I had. And yeah. how do you find the acceptance of that community? Of course, I don't, I've never been a part of the dance community, so I don't know if it's very drug alcohol driven. So if it is alcohol or weed driven, how, do you find support and camaraderie still in that community? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I have people and like, I'll tell people, I'll lay the, I'll lay down a boundary line, like, Hey, I don't do this. And they're like, okay. And I'm, and I just have to protect my own space, protect my own peace. Uh, most of the time, a lot of people see me just majority just guarded because of it, just because it's mine to protect and I'm going to protect it at all costs. So a lot of the times I seem kind of standoffishy a little bit about it in that sense like it's not like I'm judging other people it's just me protecting myself and I think that's what you have to do I mean especially me being in the the LGBT community that's very driven by liquor and especially right now meth is a huge player in that community as well and so I have to be very guarded when going into any situation that includes a majority of the, that community because I already know what's going to be present there. So it's, I got to go knowing full well, making sure my mind is right, um, that my connection, at least for, to God, is correct before going to any situation like that. Yeah, definitely. You have to protect the peace. That's, uh, that's how you stay out of your mind. Yeah, and I mean, it's... And you know, I always have to remember that I can't be seven driven with um, self-will because that always got me into trouble previously. Yeah. So do you find that in your recovery, do you have a reliance upon any higher power to continue your sobriety or do you find that you're able to do it without that? Yes. Um, so whenever I had moved back down here, um, my sponsor, he's, uh, he's a great guy. Shout out to Nick. He, uh, he's, uh, definitely saved me a couple times from myself. And, um, he suggested that I work a faith-based program along with my regular program. And I felt more growth from that than I did in, uh, like in meetings and around fellowship. Honestly, I was so broken on the inside 
and there was so much work internally to do that I just had connected more with that this time around. So I've never heard of a faith-based program. I mean, of course, I work a 12-step program and it's very more spiritual. So could you elaborate on like what a faith-based program entails for the people that may have not have heard of it? It's just, I was born and raised Catholic. And then, so when I was in like, I think it was like second grade, I was going to Catholic school and uh, my parents had gotten divorced. My mom had came out of the closet and um, the, the Catholic church was just completely scrutinizing her. Like my teachers were, the nuns were, the priests were, the church was, and it took its toll on me. And I had moved over to public school and had eventually just basically cut off my ties with God because I was like, God's not gonna love my mom. I love my mom, I'm not gonna not love my mom. And so basically at that point, I had cut off my ties with God. And then after having like long conversations, once I got down here, like with my sponsor, I realized that it wasn't, it wasn't God's fault that all this had happened in life. And everything around that was not on his on his behalf that was just those people that thought that were representing God in the wrong way so I had to take that into account and finally learn that lesson and then I was able to step back into faith and as far as a faith-based program goes it's just connecting back on to that plane with your higher power so just being active in that like um this morning easter sunday and uh i I didn't get home from my battle till probably close to midnight and um i had to wake up at six so i only got like five hours of sleep and i got there i was tired but just being there woke me up i helped out with two services got to sit out sit down for one and uh the second service was completely full it was uh it's beautiful it was a good day so far so faith-based services more go into religious ties then yeah yeah definitely okay which i mean i think religion can be super beneficial for a lot of people um i think some people as we have kind of discussed there's a certain prejudice against religion but i think you said it very well it's not god that causes that prejudice it's the like the wrong outlook and stuff of the followers the the misrepresentation of it um which i've never really thought about it that way because it was the followers that pushed me out of the church years ago when i was very active um and so that's been kind of my biggest hurdle is getting over that prejudiceness and going from being incredibly religious to atheist to now spiritual but wanting to find ties back into religion yeah but making sure that you find a space that is safe for you and that is accepting and tolerable not tolerable but it's effectively people that actually represent the religion in the correct way yeah definitely the uh the church that i'm in they're called anchor and um 
they accept people from all all walks of life. Um, as far as sobriety goes there, we're all treated the same. We're all loved the same. We all act as a family. We're all there for one another and we're all there just to help each other grow. So is there actually like a sober program in that church? There's not a sober program within the church, but there's a lot of people in sobriety that go there. Okay, that's that's actually awesome. So you have those people to kind of lean on and see in a different light. Because I mean, as you said, going into the rooms and the fellowship, a lot of them are very anti-religious or very spiritual based. Um, mm -hmm. So it's good to have those people to lean on that are a lot more religious based for you to connect with. Yeah, there's quite a few churches down here that are like that um, as far as Florida goes. I've heard Florida has a huge amount of treatment facilities and rehabs. Yes, yes. Uh, where I'm at, like, let's see, I have West Palm, like, north of me, and there's a ton there. And then extending, like, all the way down to Miami is, like, the hub of, like, treatment facilities. I've been to Florida one time, and I absolutely love Florida, but it's way too expensive to live there. Oh, yes. It is, uh, it is very expensive. Like, even just trying to save up money in a halfway house now with this inflation that's going on has been rough. Yes. So I know it's Easter Sunday, so I don't want to keep you too terribly long. So is there anything that we haven't discussed um, or shared that you would like to share with everybody? Keep your head up. Um, know that you can do it. Know what you need to do. Do the work. Do the work after you've done the work because there's always work to be done internally. Know that it's internally. Um, love everybody that you see as if they are yourself. And um, be kind to yourself because we all beat each other up the most. Um, we're our worst critic. We lie to ourselves the most, more than people lie to us. So just be honest with yourself, love yourself, and uh, don't pick up. That is very true. And I think being kind to yourself ties into a lot of self-love. And you have to have self-love in order to, I feel, succeed in sobriety. Because if you don't, you're going to continue to lie to yourself until you go back to whatever substance you were using. Definitely. It's, uh, if you can't take care of your head and then you, you've already, you've already lost, you can't let your, your head get in the way of, uh, of what you're trying to achieve and getting out of your mind or outside of your head is, uh, how you succeed in that. Exactly. So this is a time to plug in any social media. So if anybody like resonated with your story and wants to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Uh, they could do that through Instagram. It's uh, it's my dance handle. It's uh, at Jayhawk Rock R A W K official. That uh, that is my Instagram. You can find me there on TikTok. And yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us again, Jared. 
Not a problem. I, uh, I'm glad to be here. I hope awesome. you have a great Easter. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober-owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober-owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.